0: Good morning, and let's pray. Father, speak to us this morning. Speak through me. Speak through the words of your of your Bible. Speak into all of our hearts as we open open them to you, knowing that it's not my words but yours we want to hear this morning. Amen. So today's talk is the second of three in our series on fasting. And I'm going to be frank from the beginning. Hello, Frank. Um, I have a difficult relationship with fasting, at least in terms of the not-eating sort of fasting. You might think is there any other sort of fasting. We'll come to that. But in terms of the stopping eating and going hungry sort of fasting, I haven't actually done that for at least 20 years. So if you haven't fasted before, or haven't for a long time, and you're feeling bad about that, you're not alone. And you may have shared the encouragement that I felt uh, from, uh, from hearing Richard last week when he said that fasting is is not commanded, it's not, it is commended but not commanded I think uh, we could say, that um, it is certainly something we can choose to do to draw near to God and a good thing but it's not a duty, not an essential. Um, so I'm not proud of what I'm about to say but in seeking to justify my reticence to fast I have actually noticed that there aren't actually many times in the Bible, where God explicitly uh, instructs somebody to fast, or instructs us to fast. It is mentioned a lot, but mostly it is people taking upon themselves to fast, possibly, often without having a specific direction from God. There are, as we'll come to see, several, and as we saw last week, several places where, where God tells people how to do it, or often how not to do it. And all of this suggests to me that, in those days, it was a popular religious practice, There was no need for God to tell people to do it, they were going to do it anyway, and like most religious practices, it was often abused by people wanting to show off or wanting to bend God's will to their own desires, none of which is a reason not to fast, and as Richard said last week, and as I'll say this week, done right, there are clear benefits, and if like me you find the whole going properly hungry thing too difficult, there are many other ways to fast. Um, giving something up like chocolate or media or something else over a longer period of time And I particularly remember in this church we did something called uh, uh, live below the line and we lived uh, Many of us lived as if we were on benefits for a month and, it was, and we gave what we didn't spend to tier fund and to a range of other charities And I remember that being hard and having to make some tough decisions as a family But I also remember the remarkable amount of money we raised as a church And that shows that fasting and sacrificial giving, the two go hand in hand, can make a tremendous difference. So, slide's working. Yes. Uh, Let's move to the Bible, and we're going to look today at Isaiah 58, and uh, go read verses 1 to 7. So, Isaiah 58, starting from the beginning, if you want to follow along. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, and to the descendants of Jacob their sins, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what, what is right, and has not forsaken the commands of God <laughs> and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only... For bowing one's head like a reed? And for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Uh, last week we read Matthew 6, verses from there, um, and like that, this is one of those passages about how, not to, how to fast, and particularly how not to fast. And it describes, as we can see, two different approaches to fasting. And let's call them, just as a for instance, let's call them bad fasting and good fasting. So bad fasting is described in verses 3 to 5. Um, It's characterized by an outward display of humility and sacrifice, but no heart change. The people fasting were still mistreating their workers. They were arguing and fighting. And there are clues here that fasting was selfish. They were doing it for their own gain, and and that it was a form of showing off. And as we see here and elsewhere, fasting does not get a good press in Scripture if it's done to seek God's approval for personal gain, for our own decisions, for our own our own business, our own well-being. Or when it's done to show off, to impress other people. Look how humble we are, lying, lying in, in pain in sackcloth and ashes, showing how humble we are, yeah. False humility. So what does good fasting look like? We turn to, to verses 6 and 7. And when we read these verses, they, are not, they do not appear to be about fasting. I've got a bit of a problem there. They're not about, they are not obviously about fasting, they are about caring for the poor, about social justice, and about giving. So where's the link? Why did Isaiah ram these two apparently alien concepts together so abruptly? To show you why, I'm going to take a slightly roundabout route. So We need to look for a moment at other places in scripture where God commands action to help the poor. I said at the beginning that the Bible is perhaps a little short on instructions from God telling us to fast. But that is absolutely not true for verses about tackling poverty. Caring for the poor and needy is a really big theme in the Bible. And as an aside, perhaps the people who maybe didn't need to be told to fast, maybe, keen, maybe even too keen to impress God and each other by fasting, perhaps those people were slightly less ready to go out of the way for those in need of their help. And maybe needed to be reminded, maybe we do too. So what's interesting is not just the sheer volume, as we look through the Bible, of the commands to help the poor. There's two things that I really want to draw attention to. Firstly, the commands through the Bible to help the poor are holistic. That means they tackle the whole problem of poverty. include Not just a a gift to ameliorate the immediate situation. They tackle the whole problem. They include Sabbath years to cancel debts. Arrangements to allow everyone from the richest to the poorest to be involved in community events such as festivals. Being being poor was not a barrier to being part of the community. Uh, Laws to support gleaning, which um, an old-fashioned term, gave the poor a more dignified way of supporting themselves than begging. It included laws. So these laws, as you can read through the Old Testament, through uh, Exodus and uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, They seek to restore those excluded by poverty or any other reason, to restore them back into the fold of society. The second thing, and what we're going to look at today, is is the reason that God tells us why we should help those in need. I'm going to look at Deuteronomy now, which is an example of um, one of those verses that I was talking about. Deuteronomy fifteen, verse from verse twelve. If any of your people, that's Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you for six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. This is the, the um, <coughs> that you mustn't keep somebody uh, in bonded labour to you forever. They must have a way of going. And when you li- release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Set them up in life after their six or seven six years with you are done. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. And this is the important bit. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Moses says the Israelites should release their bonded laborers and set them up properly for a new life. Why? Because they were once slaves themselves. He is linking their workers' experience now with their own experience, or as Holly reminded us a few weeks ago on a similar passage, it's actually their, their parents' experience, because Moses is speaking to the children of those who were slaves in Egypt. Um, and this is a key point. We care for the poor, or they care, were to care for the poor, because they were once in their position. We are to identify with those in poverty, with those who are needy. We are to see ourselves as the same as them. And it's so important... That Moses repeats it six times in Deuteronomy. It's the six times he has this these instructions like this. Sabbath, um, gleaning, number of different things. And it's six times he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. And this identifying, it's the antidote to so much of the oppression, suffering and conflict in the world. Because if we can only put ourselves in the other's shoes, see them as a real human being, not as an amorphous mass of the poor, who are different from us. No, they are people like us. We are, we are people who have been poor, who could be poor again, who may be poor today. We will be far less inclined to ignore them, to treat them badly. And this is also the link to fasting. There's a great line in the talk, from John Mark Comer's church, it was a guest speaker. Um, uh, there's a great line in that talk, in that talk the talk that, uh, on which this talk is based: "To eat with someone is to identify them, identify with them." When we fast, we identify with those who have no food. It's really important. When we fast, we identify with those who have no food. Last week, Richard said that we fast to make space in our lives for God, and he's right. But when we make space to hear from God by fasting, one of the big messages we get from God is this empathy and compassion that come through, reminding us what it's like not to have enough, what it's like to be in need. Identifying with those in need. As Moses knew, as he said, because he said six times in Deuteronomy, it's a big motivator. To see someone in need is one thing. To feel their need, to feel what it's like to be in their position, to walk with, with them in their shoes, that is quite another. Because we forget that we were once slaves. We forget that we have, from dust we have come. When we have enough, we forget what it's like not to have enough. And we forget that having enough is a gift of God for us, just as it was for the Israelites, who for 40 years were given food every day in manna. We forget that it could be us needing help. So we fast, in whatever form that takes, we fast to remind ourselves. Now if you think about that, It then means that fasting on its own, as the people Isaiah wrote to were finding, fasting on its own is no good. By all means fast, identify with those who have no food. But if it stops there, what's the point? Fasting must lead to action. It's the fasting that inspires the action, since compassion comes when we see and feel ourselves in the position of those suffering. And it's when we identify with the disadvantaged, the oppressed, when we put ourselves in their shoes that we become strongly opposed to the system, the injustices, the oppression, and so on, that keep people enslaved, even today. And so fasting inspires more than a well-meaning, one-off sympathetic gift, a gift that may meet an immediate need, but does nothing long-term. Fasting leads to the sort of holistic, complete, total action against poverty and and injustice that God so desires, and which is so needed, to tackle the deep-seated, systemic injustices in today's world. That's the sort of long-term strategic change that Isaiah writes about in verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, not to retie them tomorrow. Untie the cords of the yoke, not to have it back again tomorrow. To set the oppressed free, but not only for a day, to do it properly. That is the sort of change we're looking for. And so we've reached the key point today, which I have drawn a little picture, because I sometimes like little pictures, um, and if you've drifted off a little, which, for which I apologise, for which don't need to apologise—that's that's kind of sometimes what I do too in listening to people. If you've drifted off a little, now is the time to focus. When we fast, we identify with those who have no food. We put ourselves in their shoes, and we start to realise what it's like not to have enough, not to know where your next meal is coming from, to go to sleep hungry, not to be able to think clearly because you are so hungry, to see and this is true in cultures today, to see your children grow up stunted, small for their age, because you're unable to give them the nutrition they need. When we experience that, when we start to feel feel that, we start to share God's compassion. We see the injustice, and and that means we see the injustice, the systemic poverty that traps people in our own country and across the world. And that leads us to action. Action that's not just a sticking plaster dealing with the immediate need, but which tackles the root cause, looses the chains of injustice, sets the oppressed free, and breaks every yoke. Or, in the, verse, in the words of Isaiah 61, action which is good news to the poor, action which binds up the brokenhearted, which proclaims freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And I've done that, linked to 60, Isaiah 61, because it's the inspiration for one of the church's own ministries. Uh, that's Three Counties Money Advice. Um, who provide practical assistance to those locked in the prison of debt. And they do it because they recognise that poverty and debt can come on any one of us. I'm going to invite Malcolm now to come and tell us a few uh, stories from uh, Money Advice.
1: Okay, good morning. Thank you very much, Graham, for that opportunity. Um, Isaiah 61, 1-3 to has been the foundational scripture of our work, and it was the driving force that encouraged our member Keith Potter to found this work some 14 years ago and drew us to a relationship with an organization called Frontline Debt Advice. The words preaching good news, healing the brokenhearted, liberty to captives, opening prison doors to those who are abound, sums up what we do every week in a very practical way. And the only thing I'd ch- change really is the word poor, because it's not in our vocabulary these days, but w- the word disadvantaged and needy is what's taken place in our polite language. But it means the same thing. So... As an organisation and as a church, we've been reaching out in the community for the last 15 years. And many times when we've been doing that, we've been asking ourselves, where is the fruit of our work? The average client that we see takes 40 hours' work, writing, negotiating, advising. So it's very easy to lose the sight of what we're really about. And after you've spent two hours writing, copying letters, I know myself and my colleagues say, well, what on earth is this all about? The daily reading I had in, uh, on my phone this week, uh, one of the days, was do something, even something small. Let's all do something and allow the Holy Spirit to inject a bit of genius into our lives today. He's waiting He's right there inside your very being. So where is the Holy Spirit working today? And in the past 12 months during this pandemic, just let me share you with a few facts that I think are encouraging. The pandemic has changed the focus of most people, whereas I used to talk about the hidden poor of Hazelmere. Many then looked at me quizzically as if I'd imagined something. Now, having come face to face with need, there is much better understanding of our local population. In the last 12 months, you've seen churches rise up to serve its people. The food bank at the Methodist Church has quadrupled its clients. And there is much better understanding now of, in our local population. Hazelmere Help was founded and a community store where people could go with no questions asked. St. Bart's has set up a befriending team for the elderly in their parish where they call them regularly and get to know their needs. And St. Bart's Church has also given St. Christopher's Church for six months to the vaccination service. And if you think, well, where's three counties been? We've been involved in the town as well through money advice. We've given £1,714 to 38 people so far. So our donations are going directly to the very needy people. And even as yesterday, a local supermarket had gave us £200 to continue doing it. So you can see there's something happening. So after many years of this furrow working and caring, in the last 12 months we've been seeing Sometimes a different move, and a move of the Holy Spirit that asks the question of what are we doing to our labors. Let me give you some examples. One of our advisors wrote recently, This client is 74 and a half years old, separated from her husband, and has undergone several surgeries in the last two years for problems with her hands, her shoulders, as well as injections in her neck for acute arthritis. She has debts of over £13,000 and some of those were loans, credit cards that she was forced to take out because by her husband who incidentally ended up in jail in New Zealand for embezzlement. And she writes, to these debt companies I asked them to, to, to write off the client's debt giving her age and infirmity. That was rejected so I left it a while and tried again. I worked out how long it would be before a pound a month repaid the debts and most of them it would be she would be 144 years old. I wrote again this month and had my challenge accepted and all those debts have been written off. That's what I call setting the prisoner free. Another client came in in 2014 stressed out to the point that he could not work. He has a lovely wife, two children, but gets up easily uptight with life generally. Every now and then he would call us and worry about a letter or an unexpected bill we managed. And then late in 2019 he called very sadly to say that his wife was in Chertsey Hospital with a mental breakdown to the tune of the fact that she was unconscious for two months. They had two children, ten and two year olds. Two months later, she woke up, and fortunately, she's back home. Now, over 18 months, we've been caring for them, helping them with food bank, phone calls, offering care, telling the debt collectors not to be silly and give them personal support. He was so grateful to be given a Gideon New Testament 18 months ago and now quotes it back to me when he's in trouble, which is quite embarrassing. His wife is now running out regularly, with their daughter, and there is a turn to be a good mum. I call that healing the broken-hearted. This next lady came to us. She was in her 60s, very timidly one day, and said to us that she'd maxed out all her credit cards uh, to fund her son's drug habit. And it had started when he had no food. Then he began to blackmail her, as he knew she was doing this from her own money, And his father would not approve. She then broke down to say that her husband doesn't know that I'm £30,000 in debt. But he's aware of my love for my son and stays away from the problem. We encouraged her to be honest and tell her husband, really? Now fortunately she did the right thing and agreed to meet us. We met them both and worked out a pathway to their situation there were lots of tears all around but guess who was present the Holy Spirit to proclaim liberty to those who are bound which is what the scripture he said my Christianity has, has to have a practical purpose otherwise why bother I delight to see the Holy Spirit at work with people who don't know he exists that amuses me and today, well, the pandemic is not over. We might be looking forward to some freedom in a few weeks' time. But the results of locking people up with credit cards is about to be revealed. The mental damage that there has been done to the elderly and infirm is yet to appear. And guess what? We haven't got enough people to manage and care for that that come currently. If you can help or you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit please come and have a chat to Julia, Keith, or I. Having lived through many moves of God in the last too many years, this next move will be in the community, I'm sure, where it will be just as personal, but will require dedicated, loving people to help mend and support the brokenhearted, just as Graham has been saying. Our churches will be resource centers in the community, in practical and loving ways. Jesus wants us to get into something that's bigger than we are. And when you give your all to that, that releases the Holy Spirit, and we begin then to fulfill the words of Isaiah. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you for telling us about the great work of, of money advice and we'll have a we'll pray for that for your work in uh, later on so the money advisor advice advisors spend as malcolm said a lot of time with their clients and working through the limitations of a professional relationship they do get close to them they feel for each client and for the pain they're going through so money advice is a ministry of empathy and it's a ministry of release There's a pattern here, pattern on the screen. Get close to someone in need. Cross those artificial barriers that society puts in the way between the haves and the have-nots. Get to know the the people. Put yourself in their shoes. Feel their pain. Empathize. Identify with them. And then release life-changing ministry through the Holy Spirit into their lives. Not a quick fix, not a sticking plaster, but life-changing. As Malcolm said, releasing from darkness, breaking prison walls, Loosing chains of injustice, that sort of transformation. And Jesus did this too. He ate with outcasts who nobody... He identified through eating with people who were outcast from society for, by means of sin, by, means, by reason of profession. And then he transformed their lives, forgiving them, doing what was needed. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector. So that they could be welcomed back into society. And lepers... What do you not do with a leper? You don't touch them. It's far more contagious than coronavirus and far more fatal. At least it was in those days. Jesus touched lepers to identify with them. And then he healed them to transform their lives. Life transforming ministry. Now, these sacrifices, time, effort, emotional energy, risk, as Jesus, uh, risk, risk, health risk in Jesus' case, empathy, compassion, these things, things the money advice team give to their ministry, things that Jesus did, things that we do, these are a type of fasting because it's about giving things up, making sacrifices. So actually, the diagram looks more like this. And do you, do you see this link? Sacrificial giving and fasting, two sides of the same coin. I'm going to give you one more example of that before we move into a, t- into a response. Now, the talk I'm giving you is very loosely based on a talk that was from John Mark Comer's church in Portland, Oregon, uh, from which we're taking our whole series. And I do commend the talk, which can be found at practicingtheway.org. Um, that talk, the talk we're drawing from today was not by John Mark Comer, it was by a visiting speaker uh, who came from another, I think from a local church, he was called Darren Ruinzone. I apologise to him if I have mispronounced that. And in the talk, he told this story from his own church, and that illustra- which illustrates the same point: sacrificial giving, fasting, empathy, compassion, and practical action, all coming together in, the lines, in line with Isaiah 58. And once, when he was about to preach, he received a word of knowledge, which is not something he was particularly used to, I think. But an amount of money came to mind. He had this number, twelve hundred dollars, on his mind, and he sensed that there was a person in the congregation, a single mother. Who needed $1,200 for rent? Uh, he, not being a massively used to this sort of thing, he but he he bravely asked the congregation, "Is there a single mum present who needs $1,200 for rent?" And a woman started started to weep. She had four children, and she had her eviction notice that had been served on her in her bag with her that day. Now that church, like we have done today, that church had already passed the bucket round, and that's what, that was what they did. They had a bucket, they passed it round. They passed it round for their normal tithes and offerings, the, the routine weekly giving to the work of the church. But that day they passed it round again. They asked people, I don't think this was a large or a well-off church, um, they asked people to dig deep to help this woman. And in that second passing of the bucket, the amount given was exactly $1,200. Holy Spirit is moving. And he says this is what happens when the Spirit of God moves among a community. It's not just, or it's not about feeling warm fuzzies. Uh, it's about social equality. It's about no needs among us. He's quoting from uh, the ends of Acts chapter 4, from the end of Acts chapter 4, which says of the early church, there were no needy persons among them because they shared their possessions and distributed to those in need. And so his church decided to do that every week. And they now pass the bucket round twice each Sunday. The first time the collection is for the church, the second for those in need. And it's really simple. The second time it goes round, if you're in need, you take money out instead of put it in. Um, let's look at briefly at 1 John 3 and verse 17. I've given you the context on the screen. But if anyone, John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Or as Darren Renzone said, we do this because this is who we are. If we don't, this whole thing, this whole Christianity church thing falls apart. It's what we do. It's what it means to be church. No needs among us. He says to his church, be who you already are. Because this is why we're here in the first place. To reflect God's heart to the world. Now there's lots of ways that you could and maybe we'll respond to this talk. You could fast for a day and give the money you save to serving those in need. You could live on poverty rations for a week. You could give sacrificially. Choose to go without something for the sake of those who do not have enough. Lots of, lots of ways to, to combine fasting and, and, and social action and helping those in need. Um, but think as you do. Think about those for whom hunger and need are constant, not the choice that you've made. Because as we've heard today from Malcolm, this, that is happening in our own town. 30, 40-odd requests to the, to the food bank every week. And of course, read Isaiah 58. Dwell on Isaiah 58 and Acts 4 and 1 John. 1 John, um, 1 John uh, whatever chapter it was, 1 John 3. Um, and then choose to break down the, the barriers. Choose to see the people suffering, the people in poverty, as people like us. Think about volunteering to help with money advice, as Malcolm suggested, to help with the food bank. And there's lots of other ways. Now, I want to draw your attention at the end of Isaiah 58. There is a wonderful blessing. I'll read bits of it. Read it all when you when you have time. Um, then you, if we do this, God will bless us and our communities. Our light, your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help. And he will say, "Here am I." And he goes on um, because. This is a, a secular studies show. A more equal and a more just society is a happier one for everyone, not just for the have-nots, but also for the haves. So you have opportunities to respond after the service in your own time and to do your own fasting, but uh, we are going to give you an opportunity now to respond. It will take me a few moments to set this up. Um, it's an opportunity to put this into practice. And as that church did, we are going to, to pass the bucket round again. Not literally, because of the virus and because we're, a lot of us are online, uh, but we are going to ask for another op- offering. Um, but with a slight difference, we're going to ask you to decide today whether you are going to give to help others or whether you're going to ask for assistance for yourself or for your family. Now, we're inviting you to ask for help if you're in significant practical need today. So like the example earlier. And now whether you're here in person or whether you're online, we will give you an opportunity to give or if you don't have the money with you to pledge a donation or to tell us about your need. And you may choose to do that now, you may choose to do it later in the week, perhaps after a time of fasting, perhaps after consulting with your family. And we will redistribute the money that is given to those who've asked for assistance. Um, or those who we already know to be needy, And we'll do that prayerfully, diligently, and carefully. And Dick has agreed to oversee this on behalf of the leadership team. Um, any surplus will be added to our Dorcas Fund, which is our own church fund for helping the poor and needy, and which is administered by a team of three members of the church. And although I am married to one of them, we, I have no, other, no involvement in that work at all. <laughs> um, so, in a moment, we're going to go into time of prayer and then worship. And in that time, I'd like each of you to invite God to show you whether you are to give or to receive today, and to prayerfully decide an amount of money to give or to ask for. Now, practically speaking, what you then do depends on whether you're here or whether you're online. If you're online, uh, details for a bank transfer will come on screen, but you need to give a reference, which is also going to be on screen, a reference to poor and needy, so that we know when it comes appears in the bank account that it's not for the general funds. Or you can pledge a gift if you don't want to do that... Gift straight away. You can pledge a gift by email, so the office email is also going to be on your screen, um, and then you can redeem that pledge later. And if you give online and you're not sure about doing the reference bits, please write to us as well, so we know of your intentions, we can match it up. Um, so those details will be on screen for the whole of the next song. Um, if you're online and you want to ask for help, please write to the office. The email details on the screen saying who you are, give us some contact details, email, phone number, whatever say how much you need and say what you need it for. In the example given earlier, you'd write $1,200, I guess most of us will be putting amounts in pounds, not dollars, um, and you'd say, I'm behind with my rent, about to be evicted, lose my home if I can't pay. Um, now, if you're here in person, you can use exactly the same methods as for those online. We've also put a bucket at the back, so you'll find two buckets at the back when you leave for two offerings, and they've got labels on, so you can get in the right one, and you'll find paper and pen underneath your chair, um so you can if you can't haven't got cash with you or you want to make a request you can write your pledge or your request on a piece of paper and um put that in the bucket and we've made sure that that is all done in a covid secure way so uh as with all responses to sermons this is of course optional and if you're new visiting or just looking we're not asking you to take part but if you're a regular here. If you see yourself as part of this church, I would ask you to participate. Maybe not, maybe not if now's not the right time, if God doesn't lay a large number on your, uh, on your heart, maybe, be a, maybe a small number, but to be a giver or a receiver, please participate because this is about showing we are all together in this. Symbolically as well as practically, we're part of standing as a church together to meet the needs of those of our own number who have needs and to help our community too all part of being one church. So let's pray now. As we pray, Lord, I do pray that you would put on our hearts, each of us, the right response to this, both a practical response and a a spiritual response, whether we need to start to fast, whether we need to take advantage of this opportunity to give or to ask for help. And I pray especially for uh, Malcolm and uh, and the Money Advice Team. I pray for your blessing on their work. I thank you so much for where you have blessed it in the past. Um, give them the energy and the resources and the the time and the patience that they need to carry on doing this work uh, in in our community. And may please Lord, by your Spirit, make a big difference through them. And also for the food bank, who are also <coughs> who are, who are a vital part of the Money Advice Team's uh, or connected part of their of uh, their, their ministry. That each one uh, needs the other. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, speak to us through uh, Acts 4. May there be no needy people among us. And I pray, Lord, that that, that we would become worthy of that blessing in Isaiah 58, that because we have answered your call to help those who need help, that your light would shine upon us and that you will answer the cry for help and you will say, here am I. So the band are going to come up and sing a song. Words are not going to come up. Maybe they will here, but they're not going to come up on the um, the live stream. This is this is a time for response, a time to think and to pray about uh, how we each of us respond to this call. Very practical call uh, to be part of God's kingdom. And after that, we will move. Sarah will take over, and we'll move into a time of worship.